Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Yeah, why don't you pray for us, Chuck? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Father, our words are so small. Lord God, this morning we just ask that you listen to our hearts. Our hearts can tell you exactly how we feel. How grateful we are for what you've done for us. For always being there, never letting us down. For never giving up on us. Even though we deserve it. Lord Jesus, thank you for the wonderful gift of your salvation. We could never be grateful enough. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the gift of today. That's why it's called the present. And Lord Jesus, we give it back to you and we ask that you use us today for your glory. Use us as you see fit. Help us continue to be your light and your life and someone else today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thank you, Chuck and Amber. Beautiful song. Beautiful message. It was a Sunday morning, shortly before 8 a.m., December 7th, 1941. A date, President Roosevelt said, which will live in infamy. The surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. It is said that Japan woke a sleeping giant when they attacked the United States, which had thought to remain neutral while the rest of the world was at war. Nevertheless, the war was brought to our soil. There is a sleeping giant today in the world. A sleeping giant much more important and much more powerful than the United States of America. And that is the Church of Jesus Christ. A sleeping giant which, whether you like it or not, is at war. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, as we return to this book, we have taken this book in chunks over the past year, give or take. Uh, We've spent some time in Ephesians and then taken a break and gone back, taken a break. And now, Lord willing, we're going to begin this uh, final section of the book of Ephesians and talk about the realities and responsibilities of spiritual warfare. Several times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in particular tells the church to wake up. 
I don't know what it is. I, I do know what it is, actually. I do know what it is. I do know who it is that has lulled us to sleep. But nevertheless, it feels at times like, what in the world is happening that even these past two and a half years, with all that we have seen, so much of the church is still blissfully asleep to the spiritual battle that is waging around us. You know that I am a lover of conspiracy theories. I would say to many of those theories, uh, told you so, they've been proven as fact, although many people are still in denial over the last two and a half years. We've seen many of the theories of conspiracy been demonstrated to be true time and time again, but there's something much more dangerous than conspiracy, and that is apathy. Something much more dangerous than conspiracy, that is denial. Apathy and denial are the tools that the enemy uses to keep the church in bed with their heads pulled up under the covers while the war for the souls of men and women rages on. When the Bible uses the language of warfare, it's not just metaphor. We are at war. There's something psychologists call the normalcy bias or the ostrich effect, which is the um, psychological game we play with ourselves to underestimate the likelihood or sometimes even certainty of, of uh, impending danger. It's why even when their neighbors are fleeing town because of the hurricane that is barreling down, many people will just board up and try to weather it because they can't process how much their life is about to change and so they just deny it, sometimes to deadly consequence. Christians do this daily when it comes to the spiritual battle that we are engaged in. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have an enemy who is actively blinding the eyes of unbelievers to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 10, he reminds us that we are engaged in a spiritual war, that we have to take up the weapons of our warfare. And the weapons of spiritual warfare are not physical weapons. They're not carnal, Paul says. Paul isn't denying the need for physical weapons. Paul's not saying that it's a sin to use physical weapons, but he's saying they're not going to do you any good in a spiritual war. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual weapons. This isn't just a metaphor. This is a metaphysical reality that we are engaged in. And so, Lord willing, today and continuing until we are through this book, we are going to be talking about warfare. The spiritual warfare that you are engaged in on a daily basis, whether you like it or not. Because as the Apostle Peter says, you have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, is on the prowl and he's looking for the easy fruit. He's looking for the easy victims 
the easy targets that he can destroy their lives. If you've ever gotten out of bed in the morning and felt like the whole world was against you, that's not just paranoia, friend. There is an enemy that is out to get you, out to destroy your family, your testimony, your very life. And you had best be prepared to engage him. And so as we've gone through this book together, let me just take, a, since it has been a, a little bit of time since we've been in Ephesians together, let me just give you a very quick overview of what we have seen in this book. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul lays for us the foundation of the Christian life. He expounds for us the many spiritual blessings in Christ given to everyone who is in Christ and the status that our salvation in Christ brings, of course, by grace through faith. And right there in the middle of chapters 1 and 3, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul contrasts the walk, the lifestyle, which he uses the metaphor of walk, step-by-step step living out our lives. He contrasts the walk of those who are unsaved with the walk that we should have as men and women who have, if we are in Christ, it's because we've recognized that we need God's grace. We recognize that we're sinners who can't save ourselves, but because of God's great love for us, while we were yet sinners, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to die in our place for our sin, to shed His blood as the all-sufficient and the only sufficient payment for sin, and He raised Him from the dead for our justification. And now He offers us forgiveness and eternal life, but it must be His grace can only be received through faith. Not of ourselves, not of our works. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. But then chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And then after Paul in chapter 3 finishes talking about our status in Christ and all the spiritual blessings we have, our new status, he goes back to this idea of walking and what it means to walk as a workmanship of God. And he lays out a number of things. We talked in chapter 4 about walking worthy of our calling. In chapter 4 also about walking differently than the unsaved world around us. Verse uh, uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 5, walking lovingly, imitating Christ's love, not the world's definition of love, but God's love, agape, agape love. Number four, walking brightly as the light of the world. We're going to talk about putting on the armor of light today and in the weeks to follow, Lord willing. And then as we walk worthy and differently and lovingly and brightly, we walk wisely, redeeming the time filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we spent some time, as Paul does in chapter 5, verse 19 through chapter 6, verse 9, taking those truths and applying them to our everyday life. Saying if you want to walk wisely and you want to walk lovingly and, and walk differently, you're going to walk filled with the Spirit. Here's how it's going to impact your corporate worship. Here's how it's going to impact your home life. Here's how it's going to impact your workplace. And then we get to chapter 6, verse 10. And Paul begins 
his concluding remarks. And Paul gives us the statement of reality. That if you are truly going to walk in Christ, there comes a time when you need to take a stand for Christ. You're going to have to take a stand. Now, you're not ever going to stand if you're not walking. And you're not really going to be walking if you don't understand your status in Christ and the blessings He's given you, the, the, the power that He's made available to you. But as we understand our blessings and as we put those blessings into practice in our walk, we are prepared then as needed, as called upon to take a stand for Jesus Christ. So look with me now in... We're just going to look at a couple of the verses this morning. We're not going to go through this entire section today. But let's just look here before we begin to go through the various pieces of the armor at what Paul says in chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and and one more verse wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Today, the realities and the responsibilities of spiritual warfare. These are messages that I wish we didn't have to preach. I wish we had spiritual peace. But there will be no spiritual peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes and establishes it. We've spent a lot of time on Sunday evenings in particular going through prophecy. Prophecy matters. What you believe about the future matters because what you believe about the future is going to impact how you live today. And it's important that we understand as Christians that there will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes to establish that peace. It's not our job to take over the world as the church. It's not our job to fix everything. We are here as ambassadors for Jesus Christ to occupy until He comes for us. And before He pours out His judgment on the earth, He's going to get us out of the way. And then the end will come. And then He will establish peace with a rod of iron but until that day we are here on a rescue mission he has left us behind with a rescue mission to preach the gospel to every creature to make disciples of all nations and to focus on him until he comes and if we're going to do that we are going to be the target of the God of this age. We are going to have an adversary, the devil himself, who prowls around. And if you think you can sit this out 
and you think you can just stay neutral and stay asleep, the devil will have you and your family for lunch. And it's tragic how many Christians who have the very Spirit of God living inside of them, and yet their life is a life of spiritual sleep and spiritual defeat because they have not appropriated the, the power that God has provided for them through the armor of God. Now let's talk for a moment before we get to our responsibilities. Let's talk for a moment about the reality of the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. Paul says we wrestle. We wrestle. Not against flesh and blood. Now, does the enemy use flesh and blood? Certainly he does. Certainly he does. But Paul wants us to get our eyes off of the flesh and into the spiritual realm. Because that's where the battle is won and lost. We wrestle. Let me share with you four spiritual threats to every believer. By the way, there's a, an ancient military manual. It's one of the greatest works on military tactics ever written. It's called The Art of War. It was written thousands of years ago by a Chinese general, philosopher, military strategist named uh, Suin Zi, is I believe how it's pronounced in Mandarin. Suin Zi, the art of war, a, a military manual written thousands of years ago, still used by militaries around the world today. And one of the basic premises of this military manual is that you need to practice variations of attack when you attack your enemy. In chapter uh, 5, verse 10, uh, Suin writes, In battle, there are not more than two methods of attack, the direct and the indirect, yet these two in combination give rise to an endless series of maneuvers. He goes on to say that constant deception in battle is the key to victory. Making the enemy think you're retreating when you're not. Making the enemy think you're weak when you're strong. And think you're strong when you're actually weak. Deception is the key to winning the spiritual battle. Well, friend, that's the manual that the devil's using against us. A variety of attacks with deception being one of the key tactics that he uses. So let me share with you some of these varieties of attacks that he uses. The four spiritual threats to every believer. Number one, the strategies of the adversary. Paul uses a word here. In the Greek, it's methodius. It's translated here as wiles. I think of wily coyote when I hear that word. Wiles. Why is he called wily coyote? Because he's got all kinds of schemes and all kinds of contraptions that he's gotten from Acme to try to get and catch and kill the roadrunner. And if you are in the spirit and you wear the armor of God, the devil's attacks will be just as effective as wily coyote's attacks against the roadrunner. But if you are not in the spirit if you are not wearing the armor of light the strategies of the adversary will be deadly effective 
What are his methods? Well, we've already talked about deception. The devil uses deception to create doubt. This was the first attack against Adam and Eve, right? Did God really say that? Did God, does the Bible really say that? He's going to get you to think. Does the Bible really say that? Does it really teach it? Well, that was written a long time ago, a friend of mine once told me. Well, that was written a long time ago. That doesn't apply to us today. The devil will use deception. He will use that deception to create doubt in God's word, in God's character. He uses the method of destruction. Jesus said he is the father of lies. A liar from the beginning and also a murderer. He uses lies and deception to create death and destruction. He packages it in temptation. The devil is a master of condemnation. That's what the word devil means, accuser. He's accuser. Revelation 12 says that the devil still has access to heaven, and he uses that access to accuse us. But we don't just have an adversary, we have a high priest. We don't just have an, an adversary, we have, as John says, an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ. And if he's your Savior, if he is your Lord, then he is the one in heaven when those accusations come. He says, no, 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 I paid for that. Paid in full. I, I've dealt with that. I already paid for that. I already paid for that. That's forgiven. That's forgiven. But the devil will tell you it's not forgiven. The devil will tell you that you screwed up so bad you might as well just give up your faith. Just walk away. You're under condemnation. You, oh, you failed too big. God doesn't love you that much. Lies of the devil to bring condemnation and shame. Now, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. If you're truly saved and you're sinning, there will be conviction and there will be discipline. Hebrews 12 says if, you're, if God's not disciplining you, it's because you're not really a son or a daughter of God. God will discipline us. He'll bring conviction, but never condemnation. Because Romans 8.1 says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the devil's attack, not, not the conviction of the Spirit. He brings confusion. He brings fear, distraction, division. Oh, is he a master of division? Turning brother against brother in the, in the home, in the church, in the nation. A master of division. So we face the threats of the wiles of the devil, the strategies of the devil. We also they'll wrestle with the soldiers of our adversary. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. I will never forget the night that I was working alone at the cottage at Bridges Treatment Center. And I was, uh, one of my jobs as I was there at, on the night shift was to do laundry for the kids in the cottage while they were sleeping, I was working. So I had done some laundry and I was doing some other things and I went into the staff restroom to wash my hands and as I was washing my hands, I saw something in the mirror behind me. I assumed it was one of the kids who was trying to sneak into the office to get at the candy. But when I turned around, 
I saw what was standing there was not a human being. It was what the prophet Isaiah calls a shade, a shadow with human form. And I don't know how to explain this to you other than to say in my spirit, by the Holy Spirit, I believe, it seemed surprised that I could see it. And it reacted by running. And when it moved past the papers that were, that were pinned to the wall, I could see the papers flutter and, and I could hear the movement of the papers. And in that split second, I knew what it was that God had revealed to me that was there. For whatever purpose, God allowed me to see that thing for a moment. And in my spirit, I know, I knew by the, again, I believe it was by the Holy Spirit revealing this to me, that that entity was not there to persecute me. It had no intention of dealing with a Christian who was ready to pray and trust the Lord in that moment. And so what I began to do that night, and what I began to do every night that I worked after that, because of that event, I would go room by room every night, and I would pray over every kid that was in that cottage. I didn't know which one that, which one that entity was there to persecute. By the way, I, I began to talk to some of the other staff, and I wasn't the only one who had experienced things like that at that treatment center, because this was a place where Kids who had experienced some very dark, dark, dark things that I won't recount to you from the pulpit. Demonic persecution is a real thing. But I tell you that story because it's true, but also because it illustrates a reality that you are wrestling with flesh and uh, with, not with flesh and blood. You are wrestling with principalities and powers, church, whether you realize it or not. Whether you see them or not, spiritual wickedness is a reality. Remember where this church came from. We, we talked about this in the book of Acts when, back when we started this series. Remember in the book of Acts, we saw the seven sons of Sceva in, Ephesia, in, the, in the city of Ephesus. And they were Jewish exorcists. And there was a, a demon-possessed man and these seven sons thought, well, there's seven of us and one of him. Let's go cast out this demon in the name of, of the God who Paul preaches. And the demon spoke to those seven guys and said, um, yeah, I know who Jesus is. And I've heard who Paul is. I've heard about Paul. I don't know who you guys are. And he beat the seven men. One man beat seven men. Beat the clothes off of them. And it was such a terrifying event that the city actually began to repent. And there was actually, this is where book burning started. The, pe the people who were coming to Christ were taking their occult books and their books on witchcraft and, and paganism and they were burning them because they had seen the reality. They'd seen the impact of the reality of spiritual warfare. And friend, where do you think all those demons in the Bible have gone? They're still here. We still wrestle with principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, most of the wrestling is not done in a physical sense. 
Although I, I do have a friend, we have a friend who's a, a retired now, but he was a prison guard, and he shared uh, with me one time uh, a prisoner that was superhuman in his strength. They were taking numbers of guards with numbers of tasers to try to get this guy subdued. Finally, I think it took about 10 or 12 of the guards to finally able, they were able to get him subdued. But he says, I absolutely know in my spirit that that man was demon-possessed. I've never seen a human that, that powerful or that strong. This is, this is a reality that we have to deal with. And we need to wake up to the reality so that we understand the power that is available to us. Because it's power you need. The soldiers of the adversary are very real. Number three, the strikes or the sorties of the adversary. They come on the evil day, Paul says. There are times when the enemy is there but not attacking. But there are other times when the, when the enemy will launch an attack on your family, launch an attack on your testimony through temptation or through doubt or through deception, through some, one of his many attacks. And Paul calls that the evil day, the day of the attack. The devil will have moments of attack. He'll try to lull you into sleep if you're not asleep. And so Paul also warns about the shots of the adversary, the fiery darts that come. These are attacks of precision. They have oftentimes lasting effects of the attacks the devil will bring on us. The reality is we are engaged in a spiritual war. Now let me give you some responsibilities of the spiritual warrior. And again, if you are a Christian, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you, you better be a good soldier. Because you are a soldier. You are a soldier. The only question is whether you're a good soldier or a soldier who needs some improvement. God will put you through boot camp. Some of you have been through boot camp. You've got some stories to tell. God will put you through boot camp. Social work was my boot camp. I was struggling in my faith and mock and my calling. And God said, I have just the place for you. I have just the job for you. And God used those years in my life to awake me up to the reality of spiritual warfare, but also to these responsibilities that we're going to unpack here. Because you're either a true soldier or you're a truant soldier. Here's how to be a true soldier. Look at these five commands again. Number one, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Now, if you're strong in finances, praise the Lord. If you're strong in health, praise the Lord. If you're strong in your knowledge and your intellect or in some skill or ability that God has given you, praise the Lord. Those are all gifts of God to be used Use for God. But not all of us are skilled exceptionally in anything, and none of us are skilled in everything. So God doesn't command you to be financially strong. God doesn't command you to be intellectually exceptional. God does command you to be strong in the Lord. See, there's no excuse for spiritual weakness. 
in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a command because God has enabled you to be spiritually strong. You are responsible because God has made you able. Be strong in the Lord. This is something uh, that runs through this book. Uh, one, of the, one of the many threads that runs through this book, by the way. The power of God that is at work in us. Chapter 119, chapter 3, verse 20. God's awesome power at work. And back in chapter 1, Paul says, I'm, I'm praying that you have a greater understanding of God's power. By the way, you need to pray that you have a greater understanding of God's power at work in you. You need to pray that your pastor has a greater understanding of God's power in him. You need to pray as Paul did for, the, for our church, that we as a church have a greater understanding of the power of God that is available to every child of God. You don't need, if you are in Christ, and if you are relying on Him, you don't need to be afraid of a demon or of the devil himself. You have the very Spirit of God living inside of you. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. So you don't need to be in fear of anything. I know you talk about spiritual things sometimes and especially the, the the demonic and you start to get the chills up your spine and I've seen some and heard some stories from friends that were a lot scarier than what I've encountered but if you are relying on the power of God as you are commanded to as a Christian you don't need to be afraid of anything pray for an understanding of God's power believe God will answer those prayers that's why they're in the scriptures in chapter 1 in chapter 3, and again in chapter 6, verse 18, we'll get, we'll get to the, uh, the, the power of prayer as we uh, conclude this section. But today, let me just very, summar very quickly summarize. When we talk about the power of the Lord, we're talking about the Father's power. That's chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Revealed to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want power? How about resurrection power? How about resurrection power? You have the Son's power, which, and this is so important as we talk about spiritual warfare. Paul, earlier in this book, has already assured us that the power of Jesus Christ is greater than all the principalities and the powers. His power is superior to the principalities and the powers and is made available to the church for His glory and for our deliverance. So you've got the Father's power. You've got the Son's power. Power And you have also the Holy Spirit's power, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Chapter 5, 18, be ye being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're able to walk by faith and you're able to be grounded in love. So be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. That begins with simply asking God to give you an awareness of the power He's already given into you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power hath already given to us, Peter says, everything we need for life and godliness. You say, I'm not experiencing it. Well, Peter says it's because it comes through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Because I'm not focusing on Him, I'm not growing in my knowledge of, of Him. And the more, I, the more I grow in my knowledge of God, as my Father, as my Savior, as my Counselor, 
I begin to experience more and more of the awareness of the power, the ability that God has already given me. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Number two, and this is what we're going to be unpacking for the next, Lord willing, number of weeks. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Now I want you to keep a finger in Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to turn back with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. When I was a kid, I, I heard, uh, you know, we, saw, we had the flannel graph boards. And I always loved it when the Roman soldier would come up on the flannel graph board. And I always thought that was so cool. And we talked about the armor of God. And I was always given this impression, though, that, and I, I think this was even once or twice stated, that, that, you know, maybe in all the years that Paul was, was chained to a Roman guard, that Paul is sitting there, uh, chained to a Roman soldier, and he's looking at that soldier's armor, and he's thinking, you know, this would make a great sermon illustration, because we preachers are always looking for sermon illustrations. So I, I'm going to compare the armor of God to a Roman soldier's armor. The only problem with that theory is Paul's not the first one to use this imagery. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. Let me start back in verse 16. He said, he saw that there was no man. God looked down. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. His righteousness had sustained him. And notice verse 17. And this is speaking of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. For He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon His head. And He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was, was clad with zeal as a cloak. Revelation 19 describes the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to be coming... And we're all going to be there with Him. We're going to, the, 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 the bride of Christ is coming with Him. That means He already came and got us before His second coming. And as He comes down and we come down with Him and He's dressed for war, and out of His mouth, the sword is coming. Friends, this armor is not Roman armor. It's exactly what it says it is. It's the armor of the Lord. It's the armor of the Lord. Jesus Christ wants you to wear His armor. He doesn't want you to buy a cheap knockoff. He doesn't want you to go online and, and get the, uh, the cheap version of it that is going to fall apart. You know, it's cheaper, but it's going to fall apart in, in a couple months anyway. So you might as well just get, get the real deal and pay the price. Cheaper for a reason. He wants you to get the real deal. The armor of the Lord is God's armor. Paul is not creating imagery from the Roman armor here. He's pulling out this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 59. 
And he's talking to us about the armor of the Lord. And he's saying, you want to fight your battles? Well, how is Jesus dressed when he comes to fight his battles? He's wearing the breastplate of righteousness. He's wearing the helmet of salvation. You need to dress like him. But friend, this is armor you have to put on. See, God's ability works through our responsibility. God's power works through human obedience. You have not because you ask not, James says. And you can have all the power in the world, but if you don't plug it in, you can have the, the most powerful strobe light that anyone's ever seen, but if you don't plug it in, you don't charge it up, you have to put on the whole armor of God. God will not do for you what He has commanded you to do for Him. He'll give you the tools. He'll give you the ability. He'll give you the power. He's given you the power. But you've got to activate it. You've got to walk by faith, not by sight. You have to obey and actually appropriate the armor that is given to you. Now, when we go through the armor over the next several weeks, I'm going to remind you this uh, again, but just to give you a, a spoiler alert, every piece of armor is activated by action. There are things you're going to need to do to put on the armor of God, to experience the power of God, to claim the victory that God has already secured for you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is working in you to will and to accomplish what He's called you to do. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. And then take a stand. 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 How many Christians, they don't want to take a stand? They don't want to say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have a position on that. I really, I, you know, I feel very strongly both ways. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anybody because if, you know, maybe they won't get saved if we offend them. Friend, you're going to have to take a stand. Because this is a war. And there are casualties. And there are consequences when you don't put on the armor and when you don't stand for what is true. There are consequences. There are casualties when you try to sit on the sideline. Don't compromise on truth. Don't compromise on obedience because you're afraid of offending somebody. What you're really afraid of is them thinking less of you. And if you really care about that person as much as you say you do, then you'll be thinking about the day they stand before Jesus Christ and not whether they're going to unfriend you on Facebook. I, I, I'm not saying we should, be, we should be rude or crude. But you have to say, you have to speak the truth in love. You have to say what you have to say in as kind a way as you can say it. But the kindest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, was not always nice. He was not. He told people then when they had no faith, he said, you have little faith. You exasperate me. He flipped tables. He told the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs. You're a, you're a bunch of vipers. Because he wasn't concerned about their feelings. He was concerned about protecting the people being destroyed by their lies. 
Kindness takes a stand. Number two, number three, number four. (laughs) Be strong, put on the whole armor, stand, and number four, withstand. Withstand. What does that mean? Well, it's a different Greek word. It means to stand against. It means to stand against. It's not just, here's what I believe, which is important. But it's also knowing when and how to react to the lies and the, and the attacks and the deception of the enemy in the evil day. Friend, I don't know if you've been living under a rock. You are in the evil day in the United States of America. This is a day. I mean, we are seeing the spirit of Antichrist run rampant through our society, through our culture. We are seeing it. You are living it. You can try to deny it. You can try to conform to it. But John says, uh, love not the world, nor any of the things that are in the world. And by the way, if you love the system of corruption, it's only because the love of the Father is not in you. So you can, you can, as a Christian, fall in love with the things of this world, but John says if you love the system, if you love it, it's because you don't really know the Father. Christians, though, need to not only stand and hold their, hold their ground, occupy till He comes, we need to know how to stand against. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You have to resist him. You have to push back. You have to be strong in the Lord. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk over the next number of weeks on how to do that through the armor of God. Understand, that's what we're doing. Stand and stand against. And here's the fifth thing and the last thing for today. Paul says, having done all. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. So as we walk through the armor of light, as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 13, the Lord's armor, Isaiah 59, that we need to put on. There are going to be some pieces that are easier to put on than others. Some pieces that fit you a little better than others. I don't know if you've ever tried to put on a tucks that you had when you were in high school or college you found it in the closet I wonder if this uniform still fits me and some pieces come on a little easier than others maybe the hat still fits but that jacket's hard to some of what we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks Lord willing are you're going to you're going to be more easily receptive to you're going to be more adaptive to it's going to resonate with your heart more than the other pieces but i'm just warning you the devil knows where you're weak the devil knows where you're weak see he has an entire net he may not know your name personally but he has an entire network of principalities and powers and they are engaged with you on a real-time basis they know where you're weak They talk to each other. They have an entire communication network. And it doesn't matter whether the the lights go off and the the, uh, um, 
side leg kicks out. They have constant spirit realm communication to know where you're weak, know where you're struggling. And it's why you need to have done all. You're going to have to do it all. Don't ever compromise with the father of lies. Don't say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll stand for truth, but I'm this, this area of this area of the armor, you know, oh, I really, I really like the armor piece I already have. You need to put on the whole armor of God. But here's the promise. When you do all and you are strong in the Lord, you will stand. You will stand. He will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He died for your sins. He rose again. If you confessed your sin, trusted in Him as Savior, He's brought you into His family, He's made you a new creature, create, creature, new creation, a new creature, depending on which Bible translation you're using. He's filled you with His very Spirit, the Spirit of resurrection, the Spirit of wisdom. He wants you to succeed. But he's giving you the choice. You're going to have to do it all to stand. Stand with me as we close. Father, we thank you for the power of God. God, give us all a greater understanding of just what ability you have equipped us with through your Holy Spirit. God, if there's someone who is sitting here and all of this seems foreign and weird to them because they don't know you, they do not have the Holy Spirit. They don't have your power. They don't have forgiveness of sins. God, I pray that they would recognize their need for forgiveness, need for the only Savior you provided, Jesus Christ. And this would be the day that they would confess, receive forgiveness, and be born again a child of God through your grace received by faith. Father, we are all engaged in a battle. Help us to see reality, see the world as it really is, that we can be the warriors for Jesus in the spiritual realm that you have called each and every one of your children to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available. Would you, would you sing with me, though, as we close? You can make a decision right where you're standing if you, if you have business to do with God. But let's sing this hymn to the Lord. The protector of our soul. Covers me there.
and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He Ramona continues to pray. Would you just bow your head with me for another moment? Just do business with God this morning. We have all failed to stand. We've all failed to withstand. We've all failed to put on the whole armor of God. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. That even when we try to go AWOL, your spirit pursues us. You restore us. You forgive us through God, your grace, when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, I just pray that your spirit would be moving in uh, and among us right now, God, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to expose the lies of the enemy that we've been believing, that have sidelined us from the spiritual battle. God, help us to wake up. Help us to be men and women of spiritual commitment, strong in the Lord and your power for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just ask you to be seated for a moment. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, Give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.